Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ultimate Summary of C.S. Lewis podcast. My name is Kevin Livermore, author of the book, The Theology of C.S. Lewis, a topical summary of his best work. It's available on Kindle as well as paperback edition. I'd love for you to check that out on Amazon, uh, rate, review, etc. I'd appreciate it. also have a YouTube channel with uh, questions facing Christianity, uh, short videos about various questions regarding Christianity and how can we know what we believe if you're a Christian and things like that. So today we're going to be talking about C.S. Lewis and Miracles. He wrote a book called Miracles, which was his most poignant book against the claims of naturalists. In it, he delivers a robust defense of the supernatural in the midst of a natural world where such events are deemed impossible. He defines a miracle as an, quote, interference with nature due to supernatural power. So this leads to a comparison between naturalism and supernaturalism. Under the naturalism perspective, nature has a set of rules within a total system, a closed box, where everything can be explained by natural cause and effect within that system. Supernaturalism says something outside of nature, or the closed system, can affect things in nature. In fact, Lewis argues, nature indeed operates by natural law, but only most of the time as it is an open system that can be accessed by divine intervention. His main argument is that naturalism undermines reason itself because reason must exist within the closed system of nature, but nature is powerless to produce reason, so reason should not be trusted. The supernaturalist view values reason, however, because we participate in the reason of God, that is, the rational view God exists. There is a supernatural source for rational thought and our ideas of good and evil. Lewis says all of our knowledge depends on the validity of reason. If that certainty is just a feeling, we have no knowledge, no true knowledge of events. In naturalism, our thinking must be caused by some other natural event. But this is a problem for Lewis because if the mental thoughts in his brain are simply caused by the motion of atoms in his brain, then he has no reason to suppose his beliefs are true and therefore no reason to believe in his brain composed of atoms. To me, this makes sense, but is mind-bending in the sense that I have never really thought about nature as a closed system in and of itself. If nature is all there is, however, it must be true. Nature is not capable of producing rationality and therefore cannot be a closed system of all that exists. I think more sermons should incorporate this type of philosophical apologetic if the preacher were capable of conveying it in an understandable way as it would edify the whole body of Christ. One argument against miracles Lewis attempts to answer is that we now know how the world works for people, but in the ancient times, they believed in miracles because they didn't understand natural laws. However, Lewis says the claim that a miracle occurred presupposes knowledge of the laws of nature, for a miracle is an event outside the course of nature, so older, cult older cultures were completely capable of knowing natural laws. Thus, we should not disregard miracles recorded in the Bible simply because they were recorded a long time ago. For he says, quote, 
Nothing can seem extraordinary until you have discovered what is ordinary. Belief in miracles, far from depending on an ignorance of the laws of nature, is only possible insofar as those laws are known. Miracles do not, in fact, break the laws of nature. End quote. Lewis has a great ability to espouse a simple truth such as this in a way that makes it seem entirely new and not thought about in such ways. Lewis defends three primary ways one could respond to miracles as either impossible, improbable, or inappropriate. He rules out them being impossible because no one can say with absolute certainty there is no God, so therefore one cannot say miracles are impossible. If we admit God, we must, must we admit miracles? Indeed, indeed, you have no security against it. That is the bargain, he says. Of course, one ought not to assume one is all-knowing and has knowledge of all reality. The argument of miracles being improbable was popularized by atheist David Hume. He maintained, It is always more likely for a miracle claim to be false rather than true because of the uniformity of nature. Lewis refuted the concept that nature is uniform, for when we ask whether miracles occur, uniformity itself is in question and the probability of the uniformity of nature is suspended. Lewis continues essentially saying one cannot determine if either uniformity or miracles are probable or improbable, for, quote, unless nature is uniform, nothing is either probable or improbable. So David Hume does not allow for a miracle because another explanation, for example, collective hallucination, etc., is always preferable to him. Lewis says such a procedure is historical madness unless one knows that any miracle is, quote, more improbable than the most improbable natural event. Do we know this, he says? He asks. He continues, quote, try to make nature absolute and you will find that her uniformity is not even probable. By claiming too much, you get nothing. You get the deadlock as in Hume. Theology offers you a working arrangement which leaves the scientist free to continue his experiments and the Christian to continue his prayers. So Lewis tackles the argument of miracles being inappropriate by admitting there is a chance miracles could occur in a non-Christian setting, but they have a unique appropriateness or fit within Christianity. He says, quote, I am in no way committed to the assertion that God has never worked miracles for pagans, but I claim that the Christian miracles have a much greater intrinsic probability in virtue of their organic connection with one another and with the whole structure of the religion they exhibit. So I appreciate this argument from Lewis because it is honest and straightforward, which is refreshing for skeptics in today's world. God can do what God wants so if he chose in the past, for example, to heal someone who was not a Christian, then that is entirely up to him. Additionally, Lewis adheres to the appropriate fit miracles have within Christianity as they are consistent with the overall narrative of its sacred scriptures, whereas miracles existing in Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam are not. That is, Hinduism claims all is one, so no separation of natural to supernatural. Buddha taught nature is illusory from which we must escape, so no reason to perform a power over an illusion. 
In Islam, Muhammad only performed miracles in later traditions, but not in the Quran, where Jesus actually performs miracles. So now I'm just going to summarize a few quotes from the book itself. In chapter 1, he says, A miracle means an interference with nature due to supernatural power. Naturalism basically provides a belief in the God of nature. There's a debate between Jack, that is C.S. Lewis, as Jack was his nickname, and a Cambridge professor in chapter 2. Comparison between naturalism and supernaturalism. Nature has a set of rules within a total system with which it follows, but supernaturalism says something outside of nature and the system can affect things in nature. Naturalism undermines reason itself. The supernaturalist view values reason because we participate in the reason of God. Chapter 3. There is a supernatural source for rational thought and our ideas of good and evil. We now know something more about God. We now know more about divine reason. All of our knowledge depends on the validity of reason. If that certainty is just a feeling, we have no true knowledge of events. In naturalism, our thinking must be caused by some other natural event, but this is a problem for Jack because if the mental thoughts in his brain are simply caused by the motion of atoms in his brain, then he has no reason to suppose his beliefs are true and therefore no reason to believe in his brain composed of atoms. The idea is that we now know how the world works. People in the old times believed in miracles because they didn't understand natural laws, but we know better. The virgin birth is an example, but Jack or Lewis says the claim that a miracle occurred presupposes knowledge of the laws of nature, for a miracle is an event outside the course of nature. Older cultures were completely capable of knowing natural laws, so we can't disregard miracles recorded in the Bible simply because they were recorded a long time ago. Miracles are improper, improper. as if God exists, he wouldn't do these things. Jack says, the nature of God is not a careless creator detached from his creation. Jack says, the God of Scripture is active, concrete, and has a determinate character who is good, not evil, and loves good, not evil. God loves truth rather than falsehood. He creates and destroys. If what is outside nature is this living God, then it is possible he would interrupt the course of nature to perform miracles. Our knowledge is limited, therefore we should be careful when we argue how God should or should not behave or do. Chapter 4, nature is powerless to produce a rational thought. Nature is powerless to produce a rational thought. Lewis does not maintain that God's creation of nature can be proved as rigorously as God's existence, but it seems to him as overwhelmingly probable so probable that no one who approached the question with an open mind would very seriously entertain any other hypothesis. Lewis shows a comparison between the Old Testament Jewish account of creation with the creation stories from other cultures of that time frame. He says, The story in Genesis chapter 1 is told in the manner of a popular poet, or as we should say, in the form of a folk tale, as St. Jerome said. But if you compare it with the creation legends of other peoples, with all these delightful absurdities in which giants are cut up and floods dried up are made to exist before creation, 
The depth and originality of this Hebrew folktale will soon be apparent, will soon be apparent. The idea of creation in the rigorous sense of the word is in the Hebrew tale fully grasped. Chapter 5. The sin, both of men and of angels, was rendered possible by the fact that God gave them free will, thus surrendering a portion of its omnipotence. It is again a death-like or descending movement because he saw that from a world of free creatures, even though they fell, he could work out, and this is the Renaissance, a deeper happiness and a fuller splendor that any world of automa or robots would admit. Lewis says that although we live in an imperfect world, God is taking the time to redeem the world, just as God took time to complete the process of creation, because evil will not and does not have the final say. Thank you so much for listening. Look forward to next time.